welcome to Planet Geo, the podcast where we talk about our amazing planet, how it works, and why it matters to you. Oh, Christopher Balquis. <laughs> how are you doing? What's up, hey, Doc? You good? I, you know, I'm good, man. We just had a great conversation uh, about a, a very cool book about a cool city. Yeah. And that was very fun. I agree. The book is called Deep Oakland, How Geology Shaped a City. Yeah. Um, I read it about a month ago, and I read it actually over spring break. I was in Louisiana, and this was my get up in the morning, drink a cup of coffee, and read a few chapters um, yeah. about a city and, and how this – it was just this great story of how geology and humanity intersect and uh, shape decisions with us, you know, in, in regards to a city. I thought it was really cool. What I agree. Idea. I agree. And, and, you know, the author is Andrew Alden. He's a geologist and, and really geoscience writer. He worked for the U.S. Geological Survey. And actually, I remember the about.com days, but he was the geology writer for about.com, which was kind of <laughs> interesting. I didn't know that before our discussion, but a practicing geoscience writer and, you know, really deeply interested and in love with the city of Oakland. And it's mm. a, oh yes. I mean, the geology in this area, the Bay Area in San Francisco, Oakland, Bay Area, Area is so exceptional that of course the story of the city and the the interaction between humanity and geoscience mm -hmm. is actually super interesting as well. And there's there's like yep. so much. I, I love the descriptions of sidewalks that are sort of tortured because there's the the you know the creep the going on along the fault. And, and yeah, yeah I mean right. it's totally amazing, <laughs> right? So he paints a really good picture in this book um, and and sort of was inspired by the Loma Prieta earthquake, which we were just talking about in our Camp Geo textbook. We have a whole section on earthquake in our earthquakes chapter. You can go there, geo.campcourses.com. And in our earthquakes chapter, we talk about the Loma Prieta earthquake. We have a couple images we made about the Loma Prieta earthquake. And that was kind of the inspiration for Andrew's sort of geoscience writing about Oakland. I did let you get away with one. I was going to rip on you, but it was right away at the beginning of the interview. And because you weren't even alive during the Loma Prieta earthquake in 1989. I mean, you, you weren't even a thought at that time. I, I mean, was, Chris. I was too, just so we know. I was too. No way. Are yeah. you serious? I, I yeah, I'm an 87er. Man. Oh my so just, gosh! So just okay. why don't you just you were alive? Why don't you just calm down, man? <laughs> you know what? I was gonna rip on you because you were alive in 1868, the last time the <laughs> Hayward Fault ruptured or whatever that he was talking about. So, <laughs> so shut up over there. Okay, <laughs> okay, that ah uh, score one for you. Um, Jesse wow, one, Chris pretty good. Zero. Here we go. Uh, one more thing about Andrew. He also has a blog, which kind of inspired in many ways this book and it's oaklandgeology.com and I, I spent a lot of time on that blog it's super interesting he's got amazing photos if you're ever traveling to the bay area i would recommend going to this thing and just searching out cool geoscience stuff because he going he kind to of, the blog you mean the blog yeah. or the book you know in the book as well because the book's kind of a a bit of a more structured version of the blog maybe but the exactly. blog's really informative there's a lot of great pictures and it, you can kind of do a little tour as you said with google earth and the blog so it, it's a really great resource so i'd point people to that as well yeah reading the book definitely made me want to go and visit oakland i want to see it through this lens yeah it just absolutely yeah, it was absolutely. compelling yeah all right well hey here we go deep oakland andrew alden coming your way here we go All right. Well, welcome, Andrew. It is so nice to finally meet you. How are you doing today? I'm having a great day so this, far. This yeah, is I a bet big you day. are. This, this is, is your release day. That's right. This release is day. a big occasion. Yeah, this is the day the bookstores are actually authorized to lay the copies out on the shelves and in the 
and the front windows. I saw one of those, took a picture. Oh, that's awesome. Cool. I had an autographing session this morning, and they said uh, they sold 25 copies this morning in one this hour. Is, uh, <laughs> we've interviewed several authors on Planet Geo, and this is the first time we've inter ever interviewed somebody on launch day. So that, that's very exciting. I did notice on your blog that you've been uh, putting copies. In, you said you've been putting copies in the little the little book. Uh, what are they called? The, the mini libraries in like the telephone booth mini libraries in neighborhoods and stuff. That's just such a cool idea. I want to ask you about that. But uh, <laughs> but Chris, you got our like leading yeah, question. So uh, go for I it. I do. I do. So Andrew, Jesse and I each have this, uh, I don't know, kind of involved story about how we discovered geoscience or fell in love. And, and it was this like moment where it just kind of smacked us across the face and said, this is the direction you're going. Um, very, like very important times in our lives. Did, did you have a moment like this where you, you knew I'm going into geology and I'm going to follow this as far as I can go? Well, I, I knew before I went to college, I'd be a geology major simply because I've always had a fascination with landscape. I've lived in interesting places. I'm basically a Californian, but I was raised in the East. I've lived in Maryland. I've lived in New Hampshire. I've lived in New York, down to New York City, and went to school in New Hampshire. When I graduated college, with just a BA in geology, I know it's not much. Some people think you need to get a doctor <laughs> or a master's, and those are great things. You really don't need to to get a lot of satisfaction and even a career out of geology. But anyway, after I graduated, I had this uh, job lined up in California with the U.S. Geological Survey. And so I drove across country, me and my cat and my little car all stuffed with stuff. And I went through Wyoming and I went through Idaho and I went through Oregon and I drove down through California. And that trip has just seared itself into my mind. You know, ever since that, you know, you have embarked on a really cool life path. Yeah, that, that, yeah that's so, a really good way yeah. to put it. And uh, Chris, before Chris makes the joke, we both agree here. You don't need a PhD <laughs> to have a degree. If you have a PhD, you're a little bit overeducated, uh, speaking from somebody who has one of those uh, <laughs> degrees. Um, that uh, It's an interesting point. So how did you know, because I, I think it's kind of rare to go into college knowing that you want to be a geologist. So how did you know that? Because that, that's quite rare. Like most people find it, you know, in year three or two of college and they kind of take the earth science class and say, oh, wow, this is cool. I don't want to be an engineer or pre-med or anything like that anymore. So yeah, how, why did you know But when you went in? For one thing, I was a Boy Scout. I got the geology merit badge. I, I also got the oceanography merit badge. For a while, I wanted to be an oceanographer. And that's a perfectly good ambition, but it's a, you really need an advanced degree to do that. But but meanwhile, I'm basically been a hilltop, mountaintop kind of guy. I love climbing hills and looking around and just wondering about what I'm seeing. And so I've always, it, it just seemed natural. Now, my high school actually did have a geology course, but I never took it. <laughs> Why? Uh, it, Wait a minute. It just Wait didn't, a minute. didn't work out. What? what does that mean it didn't work out, Andrew? Come on, you're going to have to do better well, than I that. Was taking, <laughs> I was taking other advanced placement courses. I took advanced placement chemistry and oh, physics wow. okay. and biology and so on. Never got around to geology. Huh. <sighs> so I, I don't know. It's That is unusual. But, you know, high school geology courses are unusual, and I'm sure we can talk a lot about that. Yeah. Yeah, they, they for surely are, and so are the yeah. people that teach them. <laughs> yeah, it's Chris. People, Chris is know. one of them. Um, <laughs> I, I, it's really interesting path. I mean, that usually most people 
you know, either have to take the class in, in high school or have to take a class to sort of understand that geology is useful. So that's an interesting path, uh, kind of a unique path. That's a, yeah, that's a really good point, Jesse. Most people are in something else and they take a geology class because they have to. And then they realize this is awesome. I'm changing directions. And Andrew, you just jumped right in. Um, yeah, very different path. Yeah, we really, really, and, and everybody in the profession knows this, we really need more high school oh, yes. geology because geology is, a, is the perfect STEM discipline. It touches everything else. They say mathematics, physics is the king of sciences and, and so on. They say that about mathematics, but I think geology is the original science. Maybe astronomy too, you know? Because ever since we were wandering around on Savannah, we were aware of what rocks are good for, what soil is good for, what water and landscape and so on are good yeah, for. Yeah, absolutely. It's certainly not biology. Chris and I have a longstanding um, sort of animosity with biology. But let's just level set why we're having this conversation. We alluded to it um, about a book launch. The book is called Deep Oakland, How Geology Shaped a City. And Chris and I have both read this book. You can find it today, as of today, uh, in bookstores, or if you're in Oakland area, you can find it in little libraries around the place, I suppose. But And the ebook is out too today. Okay, excellent. So, you know, this was a really interesting, for me, a really interesting, you know, the intersection between geology and, and city infrastructure and, and human humanity, really, is something we often gloss over. And I teach intro to geology, the big physical geology class. That's kind of the entrance into the field of geoscience for a lot of people. Give us a, how did this idea come about? Um, and, and, you know, writing the book or, or maybe it started with your blog that you have as well. I'm not sure. Like, can you give us the, the sort of origin story of this topic? Yeah, Andrew, before you answer this, I just want to clarify this because I think in geology, all three of us, uh, you know, we fixate on the rocks. We fixate on the scenery. And that's what we, that's the story we want to tell, right? But your story was way different. And I really enjoyed that in the book. So that's what I'm interested in because how did this idea come about where I'm going to tell both? You know, it's just, it yeah. doesn't seem natural to geologists to do this. Well, I guess I'm I'm not a conventional <laughs> geologist. I'm uh, as I say, I was a a technical editor, a scientific editor. So I had to know the literature. I had to know how to talk to research scientists. It was like a graduate level education after I got my bachelor's degree. So for years, my first years, I was kind of a book geologist. Uh, you know, I I could talk a good game. I understood their concepts. I could speak the language. But for a long time, um, I didn't look around me. And then I moved to Oakland, and two weeks later, the Loma Prieta earthquake ah, happened. Okay. It just, it kind of jolted me away. And then I looked around Oakland. Oakland is a beautiful city. I don't know if you've ever been there. A lot of people have been there without really realizing it, because if you've been to San Francisco, you look across the bay. And, you know, San Francisco is beautiful because it has a view of Oakland, you know, there's this beautiful range of hills on the other side of the bay. Uh, and then it spreads out into this beautiful plain, this coastal plain that's paved with homes and a nice downtown and so on. It's a beautiful city. And then I was lucky enough to have available, uh, and all of us do, because it's a publicly available geologic map of the uh, northern East Bay, including the Oakland area. 
And so I downloaded that. It came out in the year 2000 and started looking at it. And it was a crazy quilt of rock units. Plus, the Hayward Fault runs right down the middle of it, runs right through Oakland. Andrew, for our listeners, can you describe what the Hayward Fault is? Well, the Hayward Fault is the San Andreas' fault's sister. You know, the, the two faults are part of several. They span about 60, 80 miles from east to west. And they define the edge between the North America plate and the Pacific plate. So the Hayward Fault is the same kind of fault that the San Andreas is. It last ruptured the ground in 1868 when Oakland was just a little village by the bay. And it hasn't ruptured since. And when we look at its history, it erupts an average of every 150 years, plus or minus like 60 years. So it's not a uh, steady drumbeat. It's got a terrible rhythm. <laughs> There's always an next beat. <laughs> yes. And so at some point, you know, y'all just know this, and we live with it. I live with it every day. Uh, I log on every morning. One of the first things I check on my browser is the USGS earthquake server. And I just look at California and there's little dots all so, over it. So, Andrew, what is the capability of the Hayward Fault? It could relieve itself in a magnitude 7 earthquake. Now, that's not quite as big as the one in 1906 in San Francisco because it's not as long a fault. It doesn't have as much rock surface to store energy and release in it. But seven is just it bad enough. We, we talk about the big one. We talk about San Francisco in 1906 and Southern California in 1857 and so on. The Oakland, upcoming Oakland earthquake, I call it the great earthquake of 20XXX. <laughs> it will be not the big one. It'll be the big enough yeah, yeah. one. It'll be bad because Oakland... And the whole East Bay grew over the fault without really knowing it was there. Where now the San Andreas Fault doesn't run through San Francisco. It runs offshore. You know, there was no sign of it when they built San Francisco. It was an accident of history that Oakland grew over the fault before we even realized what was there and what it meant. But we didn't even know that until the 50s. Mm. So we were, we were poised for something awful. And one of the missions, one of the big messages in my book is we need to get to know where we are, because where we are is who we are. The city will be defined many years from now by how it handles that inevitable earthquake and how we prepare for it beforehand. Yeah, that, I mean, it's a really sort of, I guess, this intersection is really an interesting point to to look at. And there's obviously the earthquake part, uh, which you've just touched on beautifully. There's also the the sort of broader geology, and I think you describe it in the maybe the prologue as, you know, when you open up the your eyes to the world around you and to the geology around you, you, you really get a deeper experience of the place you're in. So the feedback between your blog posts that you've written for, it looks like quite some time, and this book. Like, how did you come about to the idea of, oh, actually, I have to write a book about this? I mean, it, it looks like, can you kind of give us the framing for, like, the, the motivation for writing a book and this interaction between the blog? Because it, it sometimes it, it seems that seems like maybe the opposite direction mm -hmm. I, I would expect to go. <laughs> yeah. Well, it all began in 1997. This was in the early days of the World Wide Web when this outfit they called themselves miningco.com. They said, we're going to start this website 
and we're going to hire hundreds of writers, and each one of them will be a specialist. They'll build this educational site in their specialty. And I said, you know, this sounds like a real cool opportunity. And so I uh, signed up to be their geology guide. I was one of the founding members of Mineco, and, and then it became about dot com. Oh, really? Oh, interesting. And uh, today it is now thoughtco.com. Yeah, and it's changed a great deal over the years. It changed a whole lot. But I spent 17 years there writing hundreds, probably thousands of different little items. And, and that was, you know, I talk about working at the USGS as a technical editor. That's one kind of education. And the other kind of education is what I did for those 17 years, starting in 1997. And in 2007, I was going... You know, I, I'm looking around, I need to start a blog, too, because there's all the stuff I want to write about Oakland that isn't important enough for the rest of the world. And my very first post was a picture of um, a road cut up in the hills where it's all serpentine, all serpentine rock, and it's slippery stuff, and it's falling down, and there was all this, you know, wreckage in the road, and a brand new house is rising right on that land. And I said, you know, the people in Oakland need to know what, what's around them. So that was 2007, and I just did it for a while, having fun. Eventually, I started doing a regular thing once a week, and I thought at some point, if you blog enough, you can build a book, you know? <laughs> just take all the posts and pour them, in a, pour them into a big file and turn it into a book. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> it wasn't can I interrupt that easy, you huh? about Yeah. Um, you, yeah. you talked about serpentine. Jesse and I absolutely love serpentine. Uh, we've collected some on the on the eastern part of the United States before. But the, what is it, and what's the significance to your point in terms of you know Oakland? There's a lot to say about serpentine. <laughs> so serpentine is California state rock. Uh, oh, that's really it, interesting. Yeah, it, what it is, it's a metamorphic rock. It's a metamorphic rock. It's what happens to the basaltic lava, the, the, the kind of rock that the ocean crust is made of. And it's what happens to that rock when it uh, is subjected to boiling hot seawater deep down underneath the Earth's crust under the ocean. It alters all the minerals into these hydrated magnesium silicates, and they're very slippery minerals. They change color from black to greenish, uh, bluish, and there are these slippery, fibrous minerals. But it also is important for the, for the earthquake faults in California. It, it appears along many of them, and it seems to act as a lubricant. And another thing it's important for in California history is the mother lode up in the Sierra Nevada foothills, which hold all of the gold that launched the gold rush, the gold mines up there, that you look for serpentine when you're prospecting for gold. So it's a, a rich part of California history, and it's just a neat thing to look at wherever you are. Um, I, I know you don't have any in Michigan. I know you have some in Pennsylvania here oh, and yeah. there. We've got a, we got a lot of uh, these sort of serpentine, um, well, serpentinite and, and various ultramafic and my mafic. Yeah. And, and it's neat, neat biology too. <clears throat> well, there's no such thing, Andrew. Um, <laughs> the biology is okay. Modest. Jesse, wait a minute. You've been holding out on me. Where's the serpentine at? 
uh, it's kind of where I'm at right now in the southeast side of Pennsylvania. Yeah. There's some uh, ultramafic lenses and, and nodules that are kind of crop up, and there's there's a little bit of debate about whether there's actually pieces of the mantle part of the oceanic crust, but there's definitely oceanic crust slivers of it caught up in the the the, the sort of higher grade terrains to the east of well southeast Pennsylvania and eastern Pennsylvania. Okay. So is it pretty? Yeah. Okay, it, it, it is yeah, up up on the yeah, blue ridge. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty. So it's pretty why rocky. have I not known about this? Like you know, uh, you, uh, you <laughs> haven't been invited to visit me in Pennsylvania. Yet. <laughs> That's I don't my point. That <laughs> That's is my exactly point. right. Uh, so Andrew, oh, okay. I want to go back to the book. So you, okay, you got a blog. You got all these blog posts. Um, you know, you got them in a folder somewhere, and you're thinking, okay, I'm going to put them into a book. But uh, it's lo and behold, it's not as easy as that. So yeah, that didn't that didn't work. <laughs> so I started. So so I started over. I said, I realized you're going to have to write a yeah. whole book, and so I did it my way. I thought, oh, the kind of book I want to read, which has turned out to be a very nice manual for geologizers, for people who want to learn about the different kinds of rocks. And the, uh, and so it, it really did get into rocks at that point. And um, that's why I kind of finished it up. And then I looked around for a possible publisher and, and they looked at it and said, um, how about you write something else <laughs> that goes that that goes into these other themes that you keep bringing in about how human history and geologic history interact? And I thought, oh, that sounds sweet. I'm going to do that. So I put the old one down, which is still still publishable. Okay. And uh, wrote the new one. Took a couple of years. Okay. And that was uh, okay. Right. Exciting. That was, I mean, that's interesting. That was one of the things I wanted to know is how long this process took. But Andrew, I look the thing that I really, really liked about the book was the way that you weaved in the humanity to it. And so, can you just share one of your favorite examples of how Oakland humanity and geology intersected? Like, pick one of your favorite intersections here. That's a hard question. <laughs> yeah. Well, there are, there are several, but um, I think one neat thing is I learned, I had really no idea, is that the place Oakland was founded on, you know, when the first Americans showed up in this former Mexican territory that, that the United States won from Mexico in 1848, a couple of guys rode over across the bay from San Francisco in 1850 and said to themselves, this is kind of cool, this this site. It's not like every place else in the East Bay. Bay, there's, there's some rocky places and there are some swampy places. But this is different. It's got this shelf here. We could actually start a town here. We could uh, start a harbor here. We could build our own city. It wouldn't have to be San Francisco. It wouldn't have drunks staggering around and... Uh, Oh, this, the uproar. At, you know, we could have wealthy people like ourselves could have this nice place over here. But anyway, that shelf they saw is actually the same kind of sand dune that also covers most of San Francisco. San Francisco is a pretty lousy place for a city. The only thing it's good for is the seaport because the, the soil is poor, it's windy, it's foggy. Uh, there are no trees there. They're, 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 and the and the view of Oakland as well, right? That's what else San Francisco is good for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was the Contra Costa, the opposite okay. coast. They called it the Contra Costa Range, and um, there was good soil over here, 
And uh, like I say, it had this uh, shelf. It was covered with oak trees. It was a beautiful grove of mature oak trees that the local tribes, the, the Ohlone Indians, had been tending for thousands of years. You know, for, as they say, since the beginning of time, they had tended it for acorns. They would set fire to the underbrush every now and then to clean it up and so on. And so it looked beautiful to these Americans. But it's actually a sand dune from the height of the last ice age. And when you think about what the Bay Area was like at the height of the last ice age, it was totally different. This is 20,000 years ago. The ocean was 400 feet lower at the time. There was no San Francisco Bay oh. at all. It was a valley. Yeah. It was a valley of all this freshly exposed glacial sand from the Sierra Nevada, and the Ice Age winds were even stronger than the, than the fog <laughs> that you feel in San Francisco today. And it blew sand all the way over here and, and built up this big bed of it, 60 feet thick. And that was cool to learn that. I did not know yeah. that before I launched into yeah, this that's project. Really cool. and, and wherever you dig in it, there isn't a single pebble <laughs> in it. Really pure sand. So, Interesting. You know, this is not like the glacial outwash you've have in Michigan or New England where I went to school. This is it's yeah, pure yeah. sand. It's like uh, hourglass yeah. okay. sand. And, and whenever you see a building you know, downtown, they dig into it. I go, whoa, I just want to put my yeah. hands yeah, on. Definitely. <laughs> so I, I, I want to touch on one other, another aspect of your book that I really enjoyed was sort of your descriptions of your, your walks around Oakland, which I have a, a couple, a two-parter here, if you'll allow me a two-part question. So when you go on yeah. these walks, to, uh, you know, even today, presumably you still sort of do these, um, what do you take with you, I guess, to experience them? And then a lot of our listeners are not from Oakland and probably won't be able to experience, you know, the full, the fullness of this thing. I mean, they should definitely buy the book because it's a great read, but they won't be able to experience everything. So if somebody, you know, came to Oakland and said, Andrew, I want to go on one of your geology walks and geologize with you, which one are you going to take them on? Again, a tough question. <laughs> I do want to take exception to your premise that really enjoy Oakland unless you be there. You could do it in Google Maps. That's uh, a great point. It's a great point. Yep. You can you can visit anywhere in the world in Google Maps. You know, you can even geologize in Google Maps. It's a reader from outside town, <laughs> you know, I, I name I name streets, I name places. You can show up and, you know, look in Google Maps. That's true. That, that, that's a fair so, point. That's a fair point. No, what I do, I do a lot of solo walks. I uh, just get out, move my legs to, to revisit sites and so on. And what I carry with me, I don't carry a rock hammer. <laughs> I used to at first, and I realized, you know, what one, you don't need to do it because you're not doing research. And two, you don't need it because the rocks are just beautiful by themselves. I want to leave them alone. And so what I take with me is I still have my acid bottle. I'll keep a little <laughs> bottle of little hydrochloric acid, yeah, right? Yeah. Of course. Every every self-respecting geologist has a little bottle of HCL with them. I do that. I've got a little hand <laughs> lens. I've got my phone, my camera. And I've got a little umpire brush. Oh, right. Okay. That you use, you know, the one you see them brushing whole plate. I, I use that for cleaning out okay. crops. Want to get a good look <laughs> at them and to take pictures. And everybody should have all those things. 
You don't really need the acid bottle, but I just have not been able to, to leave it behind. <laughs> so, Andrew, are you wearing your hand lens around your neck? You know, do you have a little shoestring that you... I, I have a lanyard, but it's it's inside my bag, so I don't okay. wear it. All right. I, I don't use it that often because <laughs> uh, I know what I'm looking at by now. Okay. Maybe for building stones, I would, I would pull it out and look at it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. That's true. I do yeah. that all the time when I'm in any <laughs> big city like Chicago. I do the same thing. Andrew, so I was struck with an idea. Um, you're familiar, of course, with the series Roadside Geology or you know Geology Underfoot. This book made me really think of that because I couldn't help think about my city, Grand Rapids or Detroit or really every major city in the U.S. or anywhere for that matter and how geology – played a role in why that city's there and, you know, the city's personality. And first of all, I, I think that, that it's a great idea. This should happen. Now I want to know. I want to know more about my city, but I want somebody else to do that for me so I can just read it. You know, I don't, I don't have, (laughs) (laughs) I'm lazy. I don't have five years of my life to devote to writing a book to this, you know, on this subject at this time. But so one, I think that's a great idea. And I think you need to figure like figure out an angle in this, Andrew, because you're the first one that's done something like this, at least that I'm aware of. And the first that I'm aware of too, although there are some, yeah, any city any city large enough to support, uh, uh, you know, enough readers for a publisher to be interested. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Could do this. You know, Seattle, there's a, there's a writer in Seattle, uh, David B. Williams, who's very good in geology, but he's also into biology. Oh, okay. There's yeah, that word again. Uh, yeah. And human okay. history and everything <laughs> else. So he's all, he, he covers all of nature. I don't. I focus on geology. Someone could do it for San Francisco. Someone could do it for... Los Angeles and Chicago. Uh, in fact, there is a, a, I just heard today from a, a emeritus professor who's working on a geoheritage book for Chicago, and, and it's got the makings of it. You know, before this interview, I actually went on Google Maps and took a look around Hudsonville, Michigan. <laughs> well, okay. I want your thoughts. And you've got stuff there. You've got stuff there tell in, us, tell in us Hudsonville. What we have. If I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> you've got a, uh, a a lost ice age course of the Grand River going through there. Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. So Hudsonville has yeah. Hudsonville has the the old glacial Grand River that which mm-hmm. when the river shifted course that quickly turned into some of the best soil on the planet that we call muck. It looked yeah, gorgeous. It's amazing. Yeah. You can grow anything on that stuff. That's really, wow. I'm, I'm impressed. I, I am very impressed. <laughs> it's obvious from the air, you know, <laughs> knowing what we know about Michigan, you can figure <laughs> it out. I, I, having grown up in Michigan, I will say the geology in the Bay Area is exceptional. I mean, you have world-class geology everywhere yeah. there. So I must say, I, I, you know, Grand Rapids would be an okay read probably, but I think we should not downplay the quality of geology that's it, in the Bay Area. Though. I mean, it's world-class yeah. geology. Let's let's just leave it at that. And you, you cover it very well in your book. So I, I just, I need to make that point. That mm-hmm. <laughs> Grand Rapids could have a nice pamphlet. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a, nice, a nice pamphlet. It's got, uh, it's got the Rapids themselves 
is because it's a um, geolithologic transition in the Michigan Basin. Yeah, but then know? we decided to dam it, and so now we don't have any rapids running through <laughs> Grand Rapids. But there, the, that's, the, that the, might the, change. Yeah, There's, there, a push. There must, There's a push. There's a push. And besides, there are, there are localities to the side, to either side. Okay, okay, like what? Right. I'm there really are, curious about and, this. And they're all quarries. Yeah, okay. And, and so what did you think of all the lakes? Because you don't have that in Oakland. Were you no. impressed by our lakes? Oh, oh yeah. gosh. We cannot <laughs> dive down this rabbit hole. Chris is going oh, yeah. to start banging out about how great Michigan is again. I, I just, we can't go too deep down in this rabbit hole, guys. I'm sorry. We're going to have to pull us out. It, it's not, it's <laughs> not quite, yeah, it's not quite up to Minnesota, but it's definitely up there. Oh my gosh. Oh no. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, this interview is over now, Andrew. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right, Chris, you're done. I think it's a good point that like we don't, and I've, um, thought about this since reading your book a bit and, and reading the, your blog about how to integrate this style of thinking a little bit more into the introductory geoscience education, because, you know, we're at a point where geology and geoscience is more important than it maybe has ever been, at least a basic understanding of how our planet operates. And I think we don't do a great job and there's always room for improvement in the sort of communication aspect of how important this stuff is. So books like yours are really great for pointing out that even in just one, it's not a small city, but in one location, there's all this interaction into the, the geoscience has controlled a lot of the, the kind of human development and human history of the area, which is really great. So real quick, can you summarize the geologic history of Oakland. I know this is going to be difficult <laughs> and uh, we're not asking you to read yeah. the book here because like that would be, it's, it's too much. There's so much, but like, I don't know, you, or maybe not really in the history of it, but just like, what are some things, what are your favorite chapters in the book or, or cause you kind of organize the book by geology of specific parts of Oakland. Um, and, this and is kind of like asking you to real quick summarize radiometric dating, Jesse. Yeah, no, I it's mean, impossible it, task for sure. For sure. Sit so let's, and, let's yeah. buckle in for four hours here. This is a long episode, <laughs> yeah. uh, listener, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, tell us how the continents yeah, yeah. form. Super you know. easy. <laughs> you know, which you know that that's that's your line of of research, and it's it's a really important one. It's a real cutting edge stuff. I love that. I love reading about it. But you know, when I moved to California, when I came west, and or I moved back to California in the seventies, I took took a lot of time to travel all over the state and saw it's a very active state. California is the mountains rising and earthquakes happening and plates moving. And I realized that almost all of it has examples and traces here in one place or another within the city of Oakland, from, you know, young volcanoes to ancient subduction zones. So how did Oakland, this one little corner that's got everything that California has, how did it form? Well, California formed the same way. It used to be a big old subduction zone, just like along the coast of Indonesia, Java, and Sumatra, just like that, only with a, with a continent behind it. There really isn't a, a good example in the world today of how it was. Well, maybe in South America, it was kind of like South America today for a very long time, an unusually long time for subduction zones. And then everything changed and it got ripped apart sideways, which was lucky for geologists because it broke it all apart into pieces and arranged them all on the surface where we could study them and kind of put it all together at, at depth and on the surface and from the oceanic side to the continental side. So two things, the, the subduction zone, two, breaking it up 
And that's how the coast range got wrinkled up, like pushing out of the edge of a bed sheet. And then uh, later on, we have the Ice Age cycles, which are so important everywhere in the United States. And it was fun for me to realize how important it was, even in this uh, uh, active place of California. You would think, you'd think it would erase all that yeah. stuff, but it was all superimposed on it. So that's the history of Oakland in three episodes. <laughs> Subduction, transcurrent, disruption, and then glacial up and down cycles. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it, the, the geology there just cannot be overstated, really. It's so cool. It, it's an amazing um, bit of rock that tells this amazing history of really complicated tectonic forces. So uh, very good. Yeah. It, it, it was just so rare to find it all in one city. <laughs> and that's why I realized I made the boast. <laughs> oh, I first realized it about 10 years ago. I said, Oakland, it has more rock types in it. You know, if you wanted to build a collection of shale and sandstone and siltstone and dolomite and chert and so on. You could build a bigger collection within the city of Oakland than you could anywhere else in the United States. That's what I think, and no one has proven me wrong yet. <laughs> so, all right, Andrew, a little off topic then. Outside of Oakland, what is your favorite place in California then? There are so many, you know, Death Valley, Yosemite, Lassen, oh, Shasta. Yeah. See, that's that's where I was the leading question because that's really what. <laughs> yeah, it is a leading question. The, the Great Beaches, Point Reyes, north of San Francisco, the Antelope Valley. Wait a minute, um, where's the Antelope Valley? I don't think I've ever been there. The Antelope Valley is just north of Los Angeles. You go through the through the hills, and it's the western edge of the Mojave Desert. It's the western point the Mojave Desert. And I love it because it right now, this time of year, its entire valley is paved with California poppies. Oh, beautiful. And there's an epic poppy bloom going on right yeah. now because of all the rain. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. And I love driving I-5 through the Central Valley because you can see mountains all around yeah. you. When you look away from the road. Yes, yes that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I've, I've spent a lot of time in California. I do love the state. I think I prefer the northern part of California. You touched on, you know, Shasta and, and Lassen and those areas. Um, they're just, it's, ah, it's, a, it's a beautiful, beautiful state. I'll give you that. Um, not taking away anything from Michigan or Hudsonville, but it's a beautiful <laughs> state. <laughs> well, well, like I say, Hudsonville's got that abandoned mm -hmm. river course. Yeah. You know, that's a really yeah, cool it thing. Is. It is. It's, anyway, you know, Andrew, the thing is, is, and uh, you're right, it is a really cool mm -hmm. thing. You know, Hudsonville is called the Salad Bowl City because we can grow anything here. But I don't think a lot of Hudsonville people realize that that's why we have the muck. And that's really the takeaway with your book. I think that the people of Oakland are particularly going to love this book. I know I would. I know I'm a little biased. I loved it. I've only spent, you know, a little bit of time in Oakland. I, to be, I'm, I know this is going to offend you, but I tend to spend more time in San Francisco. I don't know why, but this makes me want to go to Oakland. Honestly, it does. It makes me want to walk the city. I want to see the things that you talked about. Well, I want, I do want visitors to do that. And I do want people in Oakland to discover it for themselves. And, you know, you, you read this book and, and you can tell it's written for local people. I don't explain a lot for outsiders. I do that in the beginning. I just, when I talk about Telegraph Avenue or whatever, people here know where that is. You know, like I say, 
A book doesn't have to have everything between its covers. Nowadays, people can look up stuff. They can go on Google Maps. I don't need to explain all of geology. I don't need to explain limestone. Thank goodness I don't need to talk about the Precambrian. I don't need to talk about... He yeah, just ripped on Precambrian. Talk about no, it's true. It's true. He doesn't need to. Doesn't need to cover it. <laughs> um, Andrew, so to to your point, I spent a lot of time actually looking things up because I wanted to. I felt the need as I'm reading it to get my bearings of the city. So I did actually spend a lot of time on Google Maps looking around. Um, you know, I wanted to understand Lake Barrett. That is a virtue of this book. It. I want my readers to be curious. I'm not trying to lay it all out for them because that's yeah, too much. It's, it's, too, way, much to it's way too much. So, Andrew, I, and I, forgive me if I missed this. I wasn't actually, I'm just thinking of this now, your comment about how the diversity of rock types that you have within the Oakland city limits. Is there eclogite in any of these like knockers that are there? <laughs> I, I, I love eclogite. It might be the single like most important rock type. So this is a leading question. Is there eclogite? Either yes or no, I don't care. But what is your favorite rock that <laughs> is in Oakland. You're a funny guy, Jesse. There is eclogite in little high-grade blocks up in uh, Joaquin Miller Park. And it's mainly a serpentine zone, but there are high-grade blocks. It's got your classic garnet, glaucophane, Okay. Schiff. So it's they're in these knockers that are coming up in the melange kind of uh, kind of area in the serpentine. Okay, melange. hold on, hold on, Jesse. Listen, you you have to okay define why you're asking about eclogite, please, <laughs> okay. and what the hell is a knocker? You just went through a bunch of words that you need to define maybe well, for Chris, some people. Well, okay, eclogite first. We talked about this last week, Chris. We talked about slab pole as a plate tectonic mechanism, eclogite being this dense anchor. So that's why I'm I like eclogite for the physical perspective. <laughs> But Eglogite's also a really beautiful rock. You know, bright green pyroxene and deep red garnet. Really, really beautiful rock. Christmas tree rock. And then Knocker is the other thing. And Knocker, they're these big, they're just basically big blocks of a variety of stuff that's caught up when the subduction zone system, kind of the, this thrusting like can kind of have stuff that's from deep down in the subduction zone system make its way up to the surface in this what we call melange system. And you get big blocks of chert and big blocks of blue schist and eclogite and all sorts of crap kind of caught up in this mess. And it's all the, the sort of gr ground mass of the rock. Well, it's ground mass of the region, I guess, is all kind of sheared and lots of serpentine and all sorts of random micas and stuff like that. And these big knockers that are caught up in it as well. So they're called knockers because, and you have some great photos on your blog, Andrew, of these sort of big boulders kind of caught up in the landscape. I think there's one of a golf course that I saw. It looked really, really cool. It's a beautiful picture of a knocker. I, forgive me if I'm not remembering that correctly, but. Yeah, they're too small to map, but they're too big to ignore. Yes. Oh, that's well put. Well put. That's really well, well put. put absolutely okay and then your favorite rock okay. and uh, oh yeah. yeah favorite rock <laughs> we're asking you a lot of these hard favorite questions right he now just, i don't know why we got on this train us, but... jesse just <laughs> I, know. Well, I, I think it would have to be the, the ones i keep on my bookshelf are i have some hunks of serpentine and i have some hunks of peridotite that i got up on the klamath mountains we did we actually have peridotite in oakland too but, but peridotite is the original rock. That's the original stuff. That's the stuff that turns into serpentine. And yeah, so I have some of that oh, very too. Cool. I, I also have a piece of uh, volcanic tuff that I got up on the Sierra. These are rocks I collected from outside town. 
Uh, I don't keep any. I don't keep a lot of rocks from Oakland. I try and I try and put yeah, them yeah, back. I, I, you know, I appreciate I, that. I'm trying to that, do yeah. that now. That that came across mm-hmm. in your book. Um, in fact, one of your professors had a big influence on you. I can't remember exactly the quote, but it had to do with collecting rocks, especially in visible areas. Yeah, it was a field trip, you know, up in the Smartfield complex, and which is another subduction complex, much older. He told us all, you know, this is really important. It's an unusual location, this locality, this road cut. And I went up, I was just going to, I have my, my umpire's brush with me, and I was going to brush off the rocks. And he said, you know, please, please leave it alone. You know, I take classes of students here every year. We, we come here all the time. And, you know, if everybody did what you're doing, it, it would just be wiped out eventually. I think he was exaggerating, but, you know, there is a kind of, cowboy amateur geologist, a young geologist, a student geologist, they want to hit everything with a hammer. Yeah, you know? no. For <laughs> sure. Oh, my goodness. You just, you just can't do that. You, you have to grow up, make do with what you have, unless you have a really serious professional interest in rocks. You should not be hammering them. I mean, I know what you're saying. When we, uh, in all of our field trips that we run, and I'm sure, Chris, you do the same. Actually, we haven't talked about this, but we have to be very careful about which uh, outcrops we actually take, you know, a whole slew of a couple hundred undergrads to over a week. And because, yes, there's a lot of just random bashing for no real reason. <laughs> I, re- I remember the kid I used to be, yeah. you know. I mean, we all sort of used to be that. That's what we used to do. You go around on, go around on your bike and, you know. If you have a hammer, you use it on everything. You go, wow, what's that look like? What's Speaking that look of like? which, Jesse, do you remember the pillow basalts that I took you guys to behind Menards in Marquette? Oh, yeah. Famously behind Menards. Yep. Hammers left in the bus <laughs> is the rule, right? Yeah. They are gone. They're gone. Menards wanted to expand their outdoor lumber yard and they dynamited <laughs> away these gorgeous uh, oh, basalts. Just uh. oh, such a shame. Yeah. What a bummer. What a bummer. So, yeah. Well, we had to leave our hammers in the bus on Chris Bullhouse's trip yeah, for that right. outcrop for sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, yes, we do a, a big, we just go to a highway outcrop that's full of nonsense limestone, in my opinion. <laughs> it does have some bentonites <laughs> in it, but, you know, students can just hammer away at it. It's like, whatever, no big deal. But we have to be very specific about you know, not taking them to just around the bend where there's actually something really interesting there. Put the hammers a bus and then we walk over there after they've had their fill of hammering on the rocks that that uh, don't matter so much. Well, Andrew, we really are appreciative of your time and it was really great reading your book and I'm really appreciative of you kind of joining us on Planet Geo here and we'll put a link to uh, in the show notes to where people can, can find this book. But we always close our interviews with one sort of final question, which is what has been your best day as a, a geoscientist or as an author in your case? Well, I think my best moment as a scientist was when I figured out why there is a, a big water gap in Oakland. We have a water gap in Oakland, too. That's, you know, that's a yeah. classic of Pennsylvania. Yeah, right. You think, oh, that's all right. the Appalachians and water gaps. We've got a great example in Oakland, and I realized it's not a textbook one. So someone had to come up with a creative story to explain it. And when I realized that it took a long time to put together, that, that was a sweet moment. I work up to it in the book. You know, it's, it's kind of animates. It's a really key piece of evidence and a cool thing in chapter yeah. six. Yeah, no, that, that's cool. So when was that realization? Was this during the writing of the book or during in your blogging days? Or It was right at the beginning. Okay, but, cool. You know, right, cool. writing a book really forces you to think things <laughs> through. And so I thought it through in really good detail at that time. 
And, and next month, I'm going to give a talk to my local geological society. And if any of them wants to shoot me down, then, you know, they, they're free to try. <laughs> but, I think, but I think it's a very good hypothesis. Oh, that's great. All right. that's, that's awesome. And that's all, you know, you know this, geology is a lot of hypotheses, and a lot of them are just stories. And that's how they start. And so that's my hypothesis. So it'll take some graduate student to figure it out in the future if they yeah, care. Yeah, no, to. that's you. You know that it's it's geology is a lot of stories. I mean, we have these these conversations as well about you know what's the value of a geoscience degree, you know, to to students and stuff. And actually, it's quite broad value because of this really crazy three dimensional, four dimensional thinking that we train students on. You have to visualize stuff in three dimensions in space and then moving over time, but not just any time over millions and billions of years. Like it's a really creative and actually becoming quite a data rich science. So it's a really unique style of thinking that geology requires. And that that's a great one. That's a really good uh, best day. Where, where, do you remember where you were sitting when you're like, oh, the light bulb goes off and oh, wait, this might be it. Uh, I need to pursue this idea. Do, do, do you have that sort of emblazoned in your memory? No, I was probably just sitting right here at my <laughs> keyboard. Just putting it together. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a that's a great day. Well, Andrew, thank you so much. Again, the book is called Deep Oakland: How Geology Shaped a City. It's a, just a great read. Highly recommended. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Andrew, for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on Planet Geo. It's been a pleasure. Anytime, yeah. anytime. It'll, maybe I'll run into. You. I'm I'm hoping to attend GSA in Pittsburgh. And and Jesse, I'll bet you'll be there. I don't know about you, Chris, but it'll be neat to run into. Absolutely, yeah, great. definitely. Um, uh, definitely reach out. We'll have a whole slew of Penn State people as you know, it's home turf. So all the students and undergrads, and I think my whole research group is keen on going. So there, yeah, we'll I'll definitely be there, shepherding students around. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. And if you're at AGU in December, I will definitely be there. I've been, a, been attending AGU since. Oh, nice. Days. Yeah, that's a, I, I am uh, excited that it's back in San Francisco. I guess the, the sort of Mar Moscone Center is back up and in, uh, in, in operating. So, yeah, I don't know if I'm not sure what my uh, my schedules will be, but at, at one of the coming up AGUs, one of these years, we'll, we'll meet up, if not at GSA in, in Pittsburgh. That'll be great. Great. Uh, thanks again, Andrew. This Let's has been a real try. pleasure. And we'll see you in Pittsburgh. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. You can find all of our past episodes, transcripts. You can subscribe. You can support us. We always appreciate that at our website, planetgeocast.com. Send us an email, planetgeocast at gmail.com. We are continuing to put together office hours episodes here, answering your questions and building episodes off of suggestions that you've sent us. So keep that up. If you want to learn all the basics of geoscience, Chris, we've put together what we're calling a conversational geology textbook, geo.campcourses.com. The first link in your show notes go to that got some cool images we're going to actually be updating the web app pretty soon and sort of making the interface a little bit more functional so we're excited for that go check it out and let us know what you think cheers peace